welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Matt Halloran. Now, many of you have heard the stories that I started at this company called Carson. Actually, it was called Peak back then, but it was Carson Wealth Management. And over the years, I have tried to do whatever I possibly could to re-engage in this organization because it taught me so much. And I owe so much of my professional career, not just to Ron, but everybody at Carson Wealth and at Peak. And my path crossed with the new award-winning CMO who is unfreaking believable. Her knowledge in marketing, her knowledge in content, her knowledge in how to actually execute and hopefully, hopefully convince all of you listeners that you probably should outsource the majority of what you're doing because you suck at it. Now, those are my words, not hers. <laughs> to somebody who is much better at it than you so you can stay in your lane. Mary Kate Gulick is our guest Hi, it's so nice to have you. Yay! Oh my God, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for that really nice introduction that makes me feel like you know, much bigger deal than I actually am. Well, you know what, sister, you are a big deal. And I had so much fun hanging out with you at Jolt. It was so nice to see you in person. You know, there were lots and lots and lots of hugs, which was just absolutely fantastic. But most importantly, good stuff happened there. And what you're doing at Carson Partners is even better. So let's talk about marketing in the world of your organization? Because here's the deal. Well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to go there. Tell everybody a little bit about the organization uh, because it's, it's a very different organization than it was when I was there. No, that's definitely true. And for those of you who already you know, know Ron Carson's story, he started as a financial advisor out of his dorm room in 1983. And he got so good at it while he was at LPL that people wanted to know how he was having the success that he was and how he was growing so quickly. So he started at that time peak, um, which was the coaching business. So now that's known as Carson coaching and advisors work with the coaches to grow faster, to run in a more streamlined manner. But I always say like coaching is the 25% solution. It's somebody who tells you what you should be doing. Carson partners is the 100% solution. It is all the things you should be doing, but we do them with you and for you. So when an advisor comes on as a partner, we take on their technology staff, we take on their marketing, we take on a lot of their operations and their compliance and an awful lot of the investment management if they want us to. And what that does is that frees them up to do the things that they actually freaking care about doing. And for some advisors, they really want to be with clients. For other advisors, they want to get out of that world and they just want to run the business instead of dealing with Salesforce integrations and fighting with compliance. Because I don't know a lot of advisors who say that that's why they got into this business, you know, was to do that. So our job is to take all of that off of people. And we've built incredible teams who do that. So that's what we do at Carson. We still, obviously Carson Wealth is still an entity. So we do work with clients, but the vast majority of our partners are not branded as Carson Wealth. They keep their own DBA and 
you know, any advisor who's independent is independent for a reason, right? They like their brand. They like that it has their name and they've put their stamp on it and making sure that they can keep that and that we can amplify the story that they've already created. That's really what we're here to do. I want to ask you a little bit about that, though, because, you know, one of the things that makes a great financial advisor is that they're controlling, right? So how are you convincing advisors to rescind that level of control to the Carson Partner solution? The truth is, Matt, there are some things that they don't want to have control over anymore. And I always worried, particularly with investment management, that advisors would be like, nope, portfolio construction is my deal. That's my lane. Stay out of my lane. The folks that we tend to attract to the business are planning first. And so it's very much less about the portfolio construction as it is focusing on the goal, building the full financial plan for life. And the portfolio is a is a part of that. They're involved in the strategy, but they're really pretty much okay delegating that to the experts. Now, that said, where it has been, where some convincing has had to be done is around marketing and brand, which I always find hilarious because you would think that things like portfolio construction would be harder to let go of because that's where the expertise is, right? But for those advisors who have really enjoyed what they've been able to do with marketing and who really just love getting out there and building an audience, no, I love my website the way it is. I love what we've done and being able to say, okay, but do you have time to A-B test everything that's on your homepage within an inch of its life? Do you, you know, if someone types financial advisor in Chicago, Illinois, when are you coming up? Because on this platform, we optimize the heck out of this and we've done it hundreds and hundreds of times. We know how to do that. And we have the time and the team to fiddle around with that and to get it exactly right. So at the end of the day, it comes down to this idea that they simply don't have the bandwidth to do the level of testing and to get the outcomes that we get. And we, of course, my whole thing is I don't do things that don't work. So we've got the receipts on, on what does work and financial advisors are controlling. They're also pragmatic and they look at the receipts too. So when they know something works, they're going to go with the thing that has has the evidence behind it. Well, let's talk about about that, because what makes you a great advisor and what marketing has worked for you, and I'm going to very loosely use the word marketing there, uh, what has worked for them in the past doesn't seem to work now. What are advisors doing wrong? Now, I'm going to preface this too. You have worked with thousands of advisors, right? So this this is, you're not, this, you have unbelievable levels of experience with this. When you look at the landscape that we both exist in, what what are the big issues that you see? There are a few things. I think the most important things are behavioral in nature, more so than they are about strategy, because you can give them the strategy, they'll agree with the strategy, but there are things that people really want to be doing, even if they're not the right thing. So the things that advisors do wrong kind of across the board are First of all, they try to do all the things. They try to do all the things instead of focusing on the one or two things that close a client. And that's not starting with top of funnel awareness, which is the other thing. We don't need to worry about being at all the chamber events. We don't need to worry about billboards. We don't need to worry about getting our name out there. We need to worry about surgically finding people who are a good fit and bringing them into the practice because it is before it's about awareness, it is about clients and revenue. That's 
that's where the focus needs to be first. And if you start with awareness, then you're going to get grumpy because your marketing isn't driving leads and it's not driving clients. Well, of course it's not. You didn't strategize your marketing in order to do that. You strategized it around awareness. So that's the second thing is focusing too much on top of funnel when they need to start at the bottom. And then starting with tactics instead of goals. Like, oh, well, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and that's my marketing strategy. That's not a strategy. YouTube channel is a tactic and what are you going to do with it? Well, what are you going to do on your YouTube channel? What kind of content are you going to create? Who are you going to attract? What is your optimization strategy? Start with why. Start with what it is you're trying to accomplish. And it's always, and this is a thing, it's not just advisors. It's I always say it's everyone in our industry, but it's actually everybody in business ever, everywhere. We have shiny object syndrome, like nobody's business. So as soon as we know that somebody is crushing it on TikTok, we're like, well, why won't compliance let me archive TikTok? And then that becomes a mission suddenly when we really need to be worried about getting our referral program dialed in. You know what I mean? So this idea of letting tactics distract you instead of the goal. What are we trying to do this year? Are we trying to get 30% more clients in the door? Are we trying to uh, dial in our COI relationships so that we're getting better quality clients? You know, are we trying to sell new lines of services and focus the story and the tactics around those things? And then the big thing is they don't measure. They go by feeling instead of by fact. And the beautiful thing about marketing in this era is you don't need to do that. And I think when I talk about measurement, people get intimidated a little bit because there's this idea of, you know, if you've ever spent any time in your own Google Analytics instance, you've probably gone blind and, you know, somebody's like, hey, are we going to have dinner tonight? And you're like, oh, I've been looking at this for six and a half hours. Cool. That is what it can be like, but it doesn't have to be like that. If you just think in the beginning, what is it that I am trying to accomplish and how will I know what I have accomplished it? How much am I going to spend and how many discovery calls came in? I can divide one of those number by the other one and it tells me how much per call. That's a, that's real quality measurement and it's very simple. So just ask yourself, if you are going to sponsor this event, are you doing it in the hopes of talking to people at the event at your booth and getting calls scheduled with them? I've spent $10,000 to sponsor this event. I scheduled five calls. That is $2,000 per call. That is what you spent. And if you can do that, then you start to see a benchmark. And I know that if I do a webinar and buy $500 in ads that push to that webinar and I get 500 people there and I set time with, you know, 20 of them, that's a much better ROI, right? That's a much better cost per call. So think about the most simple way to say, am I getting anything out of this? Your emails, are anybody opening your emails? Are they generating conversations? No, then I guess you don't need to do that anymore. You know, look at, decide ahead of time what's important and make sure that you set up your work in such a way that you know the answer to those questions. Because otherwise you're just spraying randomness into the universe. And I am staunchly anti-randomness. Well, there's also a momentum component of that too, right? So when you do the webinar or when you sponsor the event or when you're deepening relationships with centers of influence, it's still very important for you to have the social proof available so that, and, and that's where the vanity metrics and the measurement really falls away, to be really honest, because all of the social proof that you have to create in order to support when you are trying to do what you just referred to, which we call poll marketing, right? That's 
that's everything you just did. I'm having people opt into my thought leadership instead of me trying to hard sell them. You know, that is a really, really different thing. So how do you quantify the social proof uh, that is needed to support all of the stuff that you guys just said? That is such a good question. And quantifying it, you use the term vanity metrics, which is a term that I love. I have X amount of followers. That's a useless statistic, except for it makes it more likely that someone will opt in, but you can't measure that. But you can, I mean, if you're tracking it long-term, you can see a, a top of funnel velocity change. But if you're not measuring funnel velocity, which please, I hope you're not measuring funnel velocity at this time. If you are, then, then we could have really good conversations. But the way that I would think about quantifying it is focusing more on how you operationalize it, right? So think about now that we have the ability to get testimonials, how are you how are you getting them? How are you asking for them? How are you using them? And how are you reusing them? So if you get something that comes in on Yelp or Google reviews, are you taking that, making use of it on your website? Are you making a graphic out of it, sharing it on social? Because then you can take, you know, maybe you only have 10 testimonials, but you've used them in so many ways that you create the impression of more volume than actually exists. I want, I want to pause you there. Hold, hold on. You just open up a huge can of worms, sister, that I want to just dive into because a lot of advisors will say, well, I already did that. I don't want to do it again. Let's talk about the rinse, lather, and repeat thing that you just kind of brought up there. If you're not reusing it, you're being wasteful. And that's just the truth. There is, I mean, I'm a lifelong content creator. There is no point creating a piece of content if you're not going to squeeze every last bit of goodness out of it. Think about even just creating a video for, for your clients where you're like, hey, everybody, I know everybody's freaked out about this Silicon Valley Bank thing from a few weeks ago. And, you know, this is what it means to you. This is why it's not going to affect you. Yeah, you just made that for your clients and you emailed it to them. There are other people who could benefit from that and who could get a glimpse into your thought leadership. So hand it over to your marketing implementer. They can pull out five quotes from it, make five different social graphics. They can make an audiogram out of it and be sharing that on your social. They can have the whole thing transcribed in five minutes and pop it into chat GPT and make a nicer blog post out of it and make it a little more reader friendly. These are really easy thing. Of course, you have it on your YouTube channel and you can embed the video within the blog post once it's on your way, you know. Why wouldn't you do that? The content's already there. You can either keep creating, keep creating, keep creating, keep creating, or just build in the processes, the simple processes by which those things can be repurposed so you get the full volume out of it. I mean, it's just a question of maximizing existing assets. And the beautiful part about that is you don't need a marketing director level person to do that. You need a VA, right? Or you know somebody at an implementer level, and that's a much less expensive resource. So I caution anybody not to even get into the game of creating content for anything unless they have a plan to, to repurpose strategically. It's Matt here jumping in for just a second. Hey, if you want to go from being the seeker of clients to being sought after, then influence is your answer. It's the only marketing that's left today for advisors. But how much influence do you have right now? Well, to find out, take our free five minute test and get a scorecard that reveals and ranks your level of influence. Just go to proudmouth.com to start. You keep using the word implementer. So let's expand on that a little bit more. What do you mean by finding an implementer? 
Yeah, I talk about this quite a bit. I think one of the things that I talk to advisors a lot is one of their first moves when they're like, you know what, we need to up our marketing game is they talk about hiring like a director level person. And that's great. There's value there. It's expensive, but it does take you out of the weeds. But this is somebody who's going to be focused more on strategy. And there are some doing type things that they'll be able to do or that they'll have time to do because you want them focused on the big picture. That's what a director level person should be doing. And so what's going to end up happening is they're going to need to outsource the doing anyway. So they end up kind of managing that, that either you're going to hire them a team or they're going to outsource some of the doing. One way or another, it ends up being pretty expensive. And that is a good move sometimes. But at the time when an advisory firm is just thinking we need to up our game, man, it's usually not a director that they need. It's usually something like a full-time implementer. So you are still responsible for the strategy. You or your COO or somebody within the organization is like, this is the strategy. This is what we're focusing on. Then someone else does the doing. Now it's a less expensive hire, but you're still highly involved. So there's still a time investment on your part because this is someone that you have to train and someone that you're going to need to continually let in on the strategy. And the truth is it's hard to find somebody with all the implementation skills. You know, somebody who's gonna develop the website and edit the videos and do the podcast and do all the social graphics and do good writing and do your newsletter. It's not impossible, but... Typically, there you know there are channels that you want to focus in, and you'll find somebody who can you know do well, who's very good at multimedia, maybe not such a good writer, maybe not such a good designer, or a very good designer who does some decent automation, but they don't do any development. The idea of trying, and you know, people do this. They're like, I need a marketing person. That means they can do all the marketing things. You know, I've been doing marketing for twenty years, and I can do a lot of the marketing things, but. The idea that you will have the same person who is going to do your front end web development as is going to design your graphics, that is a different person. So having an implementer is a bit challenging, but if you're mostly focused on things like social and things that are doable with the more democratized tools, like things like Canva and any kind of marketing automation software that's dev free, then you can do well with that implementer level, but you just have to be prepared that you still own strategy and you're still highly involved. So if the goal is to get it off your plate, an implementer doesn't take it off your plate. An implementer maximizes what you do. We figured out, Kirk and I broke this down a number of years ago, that it, there's eight different disciplines. Now, just for what Proudmouth specifically does, not, I mean, you added websites, we don't, we don't touch any of that stuff, but just the content creation all of the stuff that we do, that's eight different disciplines, and it's about 40 hours of time per month to just execute what we do in our managed services here. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the next level there, though. So so the advisor hires the implementer, but the issue is, is the advisor, therefore, still thinks that they're the expert in marketing. Shouldn't they just outsource some of this stuff to make it so that they can utilize somebody like you or somebody on your team or an actual coordinator so that the implementer can more focus on actually getting the stuff out instead of all of the strategy and stuff like that? So tell me what you think about that. They should, but the truth is in our world, they have not always had the best options to do. You know, one of the most common options is they'll hire an agency. It's expensive. 
they don't understand your business. And even after the ramp up, you can never really get them to understand you. And your voice can kind of get lost along the way. And the volume of work is inherently low compared to somebody who's on staff. I mean, that's just that's just what it is. And I come from agency. That's my background. So I feel very comfortable saying that. Advisor platforms historically would do, it would be inexpensive and there would be a lot of free things that would be included in your platform, but it usually wasn't very customizable and the quality wasn't great. So that was always a challenge. There's also this idea of a fractional CMO, right? So you don't do a full-time hire, but you bring in somebody for 10 hours a month to deal with your strategy, the budget, what should be spent, and they're the ones who direct the implementer, right? I will say that there have been places where the, I would consider the advisor platforms, there have been a couple players who have pushed really far ahead so that they are offering a good span of services with a great deal of quality. So work them with kind of an implementer, that does take you out of the mix and you get more and better than you ever would have gotten before, which is I consider that the best possible combination for, you know, a small to mid-sized advisory firm who can't have an in-house marketing team. You should have all of the services that come from your advisor platform and an implementer to maximize what's coming through. Now, we talk on this show all the time about what advisors should be doing. I want to take that and flip it on its head. Let's talk about what you have experienced that advisors could take off and should take off their plate in the world of marketing. Excellent question, because I am a huge believer in the stop doing list. And when it comes to marketing for advisors, there is not necessarily a long stop doing list always, but there's a really important one. And unfortunately for you all, two things that should come off your list are pretty unpopular for me to talk about because they are well-loved. One is your client newsletter. If your open rate is less than 20%, which I will almost guarantee that it is, you should stop doing it. Because do you know how much time people put into those newsletters? It is stunning, especially those who are doing it weekly. They're spending six, seven, eight hours a week to pull this together, to bring all this content together. And then they send it out and not even a quarter of their people are opening it. Wow. And a lot of the times the subject line will just be newsletter, you know? And so if if so few eyeballs are ever going to see this, much less read it, much less take action as recommended in the newsletter, why are we producing it? Why are we spending? Like the idea of wasting six hours in a week to me makes me want to throw up a little bit. It's very upsetting. So that is stop doing. Look at your, if you're using MailChimp or Constant Contact or Active Campaign, whatever you're using to deploy, look in there and look what that open rate has been historically. And I think 20% is still a garbage open rate. And a great newsletter, if you're really engaged with your client and they're really digging the chili on your content, you're going to be in the high 20s or low 30s. 20 is a baseline. And if it's under baseline, you, my friend, have thrown away an awful lot of time and you should stop doing that immediately. The other thing is that the client newsletter doesn't bring you new clients. It's just talking to your existing clients. And yes, retention is important and getting more share of wallet is important. Share of wallet and retention don't come from the email newsletter that people aren't opening. So people aren't opening. 
stop doing it. So that's one. And people have a very significant emotional attachment to their newsletters. I don't understand why. One day I'll maybe do a study of it, but not today. The other thing, if you're doing digital advertising in any way, shape or form, whether it's social, native, display, if you're doing it and it's not generating discovery calls in a way that you can quantify, you need to stop doing it. The dirty secret about digital ads for small businesses is this, that unless you have the budget and the time and expertise to test multiple variables at once to build an optimized program that will put people in a signing position, you are wasting money. The whole meta has created the easy button to move money from my bank account to Mark Zuckerberg's. Like that is what they have done. And people think that if they're boosting their post or if they're running an awareness ad, that it's going to do something for them. There is no way to see a through line from that to assets under management. If first thing, if you're paying for advertising, attach a concrete goal to it that is at the top of your sales funnel. I always consider that the discovery call for some organizations, it's different. And then count, count and divide, right? I spent $500 on ads. I generated three discovery calls. That means that I can't do math because I'm marketing, but you know what I mean. Have what you're willing to spend. What's a discovery call worth to you? And that's how you budget. But if you don't have the time, the expertise, and the budget to test all of those variables and get to a point of optimization, you are wasting money. You are throwing money away. And I will tell you, very few firm owners have that time or the staff or the knowledge to do that. This is one area where you absolutely should let someone do it who has a proven formula, but make you show them their receipts, make you show them their full program metrics. And there is no reason in the world you can't ask what's under the hood and find out what their what conversions you can expect if you are to invest with them. And they should have those numbers and should be happy to share them with you. But if someone has invested the money to build a formula and a program that works, then that is your friend because you do not have that money to invest in and recreating the wheel that someone else has created. So I, I didn't actually prepare you for this on the front end of the show, but if somebody wants to learn more Ooh. about you or working with any of the multiple organizations that you uh, are kind of the spearhead of all of them, what's the best, how do they, where do they go? Who should go? What do you, what do you think? What do you want people to do? You can find out about everything we're up to at carsongroup.com. You can find me on Twitter at Mary Kate Gulick. I hang out there an awful lot. Otherwise, feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. I spend an awful lot of time there too. But carsongroup.com will have all the, the good stuff that we're into. And there's a lot of good marketing material there. I will send a, a link to my favorite marketing workbook that I find very helpful, particularly in the where we should be focusing. Big believer in focusing only on that one or two strategies that's that's doing it for you and putting the blinders on and letting the shiny objects fly by unnoticed. All right. So here's my favorite question. What should I have asked you that I didn't? You should have asked me about what my favorite fandom is because the answer is Harry Potter. And I think that that is really important information for your that is really important information. No, That's I think awesome. what's probably more important is we talked about the stop doing. I think the 
what you what you could have asked is about if people shouldn't be focusing on tactics, what should they be focusing on? And I think that advisors have a really unique opportunity that they miss too often with regards to their own story. I think lay people think about financial planning and financial advice and wealth management as kind of cold and clinical spreadsheety professions. And I mean, if you've met one advisor in your life, you know, that's not true. Like there's so much passion and warmth in this work and everybody, everybody who's gotten in it has gotten in it because of some kind of purpose. Like, this is why I'm here. I am here to transform families with this because of my origin story. I feel that advisors shy away from their origin story because they don't feel like their personal story is professional. They don't feel like it fits into that financial services bucket. But I'm going to tell you right now, financial services is the least trusted product category in the United States for a reason. And hiding who you actually are and not letting people see the human is not going to make you more trustworthy. Hiding behind all the, what do we do? We do comprehensive financial planning, including blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what a fiduciary is, even though it's really important to all of us. They want to know who you are and why they should trust you. People don't trust businesses. They trust people. So show them who you are. And then that's how the connection is made. I feel like I can only convince about half of the advisors I talk to about this. There's still such a, this idea of separating your professional self from your real self that the world has simply passed that paradigm by. We just, that is not how we live. I have, you know, people on Zoom when we're all working hybrid still, they'll apologize. Oh, my kid's crying. Oh, my my dog's barking. I'm like, we don't apologize for our dogs and our kids anymore. We don't. This is, it's all life. It is all life. And the people you are working with, they are now a part of your life and you are a part of theirs. Think about expanding those boundaries and letting them in a little bit more. That's where retention comes from because emotionally it would be hard to leave you. And that's where signing because they can see this is somebody that I need in my life. This is somebody that I trust to help me. So take a step back from the financial services jargon playbook and Think about how you talk to your friends. Think about how you talk to your kids. Think about how you talk to your brother and sister and use the words that people use to connect. And that is the language of our personal lives, not the language of the business. And we call that influence acceleration, right? In unapologetically being yourself. That That's the key to any content marketing strategy is giving people the you-ness uh, because again, that's exactly uh, what they want. Well, well Mary-Kate, thank you very much. I, I'm so happy to know you. Thank you very much for spending some time with our audience today. Um, and we'll make sure that we have those links in the show notes so that people can reach out. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. This was a real pleasure and uh, look forward to talking again soon. All right, everybody. Again, if you want to know and how you can figure out how to give yourself the permission to unapologetically be yourself, you can do it for free in our Pod Rocket Academy. Go to prodmoth.com. You can fill out our free five-minute test to find out what your gaps are in your influence and most importantly, mindset. Not just your influence, but how you're thinking about things the wrong way. And we do it very gently and it's very nice. and You get a very nice report. So with that, for everybody uh, at Carson Partners, all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Halloran. We'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. 
Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.